0: Today's sermon comes from Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 12. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magi- magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barabbas, or sorry, who summoned Barnabas and Saul, and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for that was the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, "You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy." You will, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord.
1: A book titled, Conversations with God. Came out in the late 1990s. It was a bestseller, sold over 2.5 million copies. And the content of the book is basically direct conversations that the author, Neil Walsh, started having with God. And these are not conversations he had with the God of Christianity or even a God. Affiliated with any major world religion. I'm going to read you a little snippet of a conversation. And what I want you to see is that this really encapsulates the spiritual yearnings of our culture, and it's going to encapsulate the core beliefs of this kind of spirituality. Here's an example of a conversation. God says to him, I cannot tell you my truth until you stop telling me yours. Walsh says, but my truth about God comes from you. God said, who said so? Walsh says, others. God said, what others? Walsh said, leaders, ministers, rabbis, priests, books, the Bible, for heaven's sake. God says, those are not authoritative sources. Walsh says, they aren't. God says, no. Walsh says, then what is? God says, listen to your feelings. Listen to your highest thoughts. Listen to your experience. Whenever any one of these differ from what you've been told by your teachers or read in your books, forget the words. Now, I would say that that pretty accurately sums up our cultural climate, spiritually speaking. That we live in a culture of piecing together spirituality and piecing together what fits us. This is the kind of culture. That Paul and Barnabas ran into on the island of Cyprus in Acts chapter 13. They came into this kind of culture and they proclaimed the word of God, and something happened. Now, what happened? What is revealed when the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed into such a culture? First, a piecemeal spirituality is revealed. Saul and Barnabas were at the church in Antioch. They prayed for them and they sent them out on mission. They arrive at this island of Cyprus. They started on the eastern side of the island, preaching in the Jewish synagogues. Then they traveled to the west side of the island to a province called Paphos. And it was here that they encountered this Jewish false prophet magician named Bar-Jesus and the proconsul. Now, who are these people and why does it matter? Well, Paphos was a province of Rome and Rome ruled Paphos through a proconsul. So this proconsul of Paphos was probably something more than the mayor of a city, probably more like the governor of a state. This is a high-ranking Roman official who has lots of power. Then you have this magician called Elamus or Bar-Jesus. Who was he? Well, he was a false prophet, meaning that he falsely claimed to be a medium of divine revelation. He claimed to tell the future through astrology, magic spells, rituals, communicating with the dead, And the fact that he was a magician would say he practiced sorcery that he would, through various rituals, claim to evoke the dead. Now this is who Paul and Barnabas ran into. Why would the proconsul, a man of such great power, choose to associate with such a man like Bar-Jesus? Well, it explains the culture of the island of Cyprus. It was a place where you had all kinds of religions all kinds of philosophies. And it all just kind of meshed together into this kind of spiritual melting pot of ideas. And so bar Jesus or a person of his sort would be of great importance because number one, he was Jewish. And the Roman Empire did respect the Jews' depth of insight into religion. And he was a sorcerer. He he practiced magic. So he had that side covered as well. This was a man that would be of great spiritual counsel to a man, to the proconsul, who's having to make decisions all the time. Think about it today. When you think about the president, you think about a governor, what do they have? They have their council, right? Legal counsel, all these different councils. Well, this proconsul had a spiritual council, and Bar Jesus was the perfect man for it because he took in all the thoughts of the day and, and merged them together and would give sound counsel, right, to this high-ranking Roman official. And this proconsul was the kind of guy that probably didn't mind building out his spiritual council. So he had Bar-Jesus, but then Paul and Barnabas come along. And he saw them as traveling philosophers and he's thinking, great, let me hear them and I can add them to my council and even just get that much wiser, right? He already is an intelligent man, the text says. And so that explains verse seven. He summoned Paul, Paul, or Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. He's filling out, his spiritual counsel. What we see here on the island of Cyprus is very similar to our day. What we see happening on Cyprus that is true in our world today is what I I will call, and I'll give you the formal word, but it's called syncretism. And that basically means taking the best of all the religions and philosophies in our world and merging them together into one. It's the the best practice approach to spirituality. Take the best of Christianity, the best of Hinduism, the best of Islam, the best of New Age philosophy, just pull it all together and you piece together your own spirituality. It's a piecemeal spirituality. This is what the proconsul was doing with Bar-Jesus. It's what he was probably seeking to do with Barnabas and Saul, and it's what happens today. Pew Research, a couple of years ago, real recently, uh, did a study to try to figure out or get their hands around Christianity and this syncretism in our culture. And to, to try to get their hands around it, they looked at Christianity being merged with New Age Spiritualism. And they defined new age, spiritualism, by four beliefs. Number one, belief that spiritual energy is located in physical things like mountains, trees, or crystals. Belief number two, that people will be reborn again and again in this world. That's reincarnation. Number three, Belief that the position of stars and planets can affect people's lives. That's astrology. And belief number four of this new age spiritualism, belief that some people perceive or are sensitive to supernatural forces. That would be psychics. And what they did is they took seven groups of religious people from the most religious to the least religious, and ask them questions to see what kind of syncretism is happening in our culture today. I'm not gonna give you all seven, but I'm gonna give you two, okay? They're important. The first group that they surveyed were the Sunday stalwarts, okay? That was people that 82% attend weekly services, 84% pray daily, 100% participate in church groups, 94% believe in God as described in the Bible, 97 and 91% believe in heaven and hell, respectively. This is a religious group. In this group, one in three persons believe in psychics and that spiritual energy is located in physical objects. And one in five in this group believe in reincarnation and in astrology. Now, let me give you one other group. They were called the diversely devout, This was a group that was very diverse demographically, but also in their beliefs. Only 12% of this group attended weekly religious services. But 87% of them said they believe in God as described in the Bible. Of this group, 95% of them believe in psychics, reincarnation, and that spiritual energy can be located in physical objects, Now, some of you, maybe many of you, hold these kind of syncretistic beliefs. I don't share this to shame you or to condemn you in any way. But I do share it to bring awareness that the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't leave room for that. The gospel of Jesus Christ exposes this kind of piecemeal spirituality as faulty, but as misleading and as dangerous. Here's why it's dangerous. And this is speaking in general of syncretism. You don't reject Jesus, but you add all of this other stuff to the shelf with him. And so slowly and subtly, you're drawn away from Jesus to these other things. That's why it's so dangerous. And that explains Paul's response here in this passage to this magician. So what is revealed when the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed? A piecemeal spirituality, but second, an unseen battle. An unseen battle. Verse eight. But Elamis, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now, Elamus had had become a a trusted confidant of the proconsul. And so when he saw the potential of the proconsul turning to Barnabas and Saul, he saw potentially that his days of being an influential person were numbered. At worst, he might have thought he was going to lose his job. All right, so he wanted to turn the proconsul away from Paul and Barnabas. Now, if that was his motivation to protect his territory, to protect his position, verse 10 tells us what was really happening behind the scenes. Paul's response to this magician. You son of the devil, that's pretty abrupt. That's pretty intense. You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? The name Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus. What Paul does in verse 10 is now call him, not Bar-Jesus, but Bar-Devil, son of the devil. This is not just harmless superstition going on. Paul says, this magician's work is rooted in darkness. It's rooted in the work of the devil. Now, you think about the ways that Paul could have responded to this magician. If Paul was going to kind of come alongside the syncretism of Cyprus, he would have said, hey, Elimus, chill out, buddy. Chill out. Hey, you got spiritual advice you've been given the proconsul. We got some spiritual advice too. Yours has strengths. Ours has strengths. He needs it all. He's got to make good decisions. We can coexist. We can work together. Don't don't get so up in arms. I mean, that's that's how Paul could have responded, which would have just kind of jumped into this piecemeal spirituality. Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't do that at all. He calls this magician out as a worker of the devil. A worker of the devil. This problem of syncretism goes all the way back to Israel's story in the Old Testament. It plagued them in the Old Testament. When they came out of Egypt through the desert and they came into the promised land, they encounter the Canaanites who had all these different religions and philosophies and what they started doing is they didn't reject God, but they started incorporating all of these cultural practices. And God would come down hard on them for it. And sometimes he would strike judgment on those who led his people away. There's an unseen battle in the spiritual realm that manifests itself in our world today the devil, the scriptures say, prowls around like a roaring lion waiting for someone or looking for someone to devour. There are certain things that get the devil's attention and draw his opposition. And I will tell you that syncretism is not one of them. He is happy to let you embark on a best practice approach to spirituality. That road will be smooth as can be for you to begin to pull in all these different religions and patch together your own spirituality. He will not oppose that. He will let that go. The reason syncretism, and the reason he'll let it go is because that path leads to utter darkness. The reason syncretism or piecemeal spirituality is so dangerous is because it doesn't outright reject Jesus. It just puts Jesus on the shelf with a bunch of other stuff and functional gods that you're trusting. That's why it's so dangerous. That's why it's so subtle. You just begin to add other gods to the shelf British theologian and missionary Leslie Newbegin spent most of his missionary career in India. And he says as a young missionary that he really learned and encountered syncretism and understood it for the first time when every week he would go to the Ramakrishna Mission in the town where he lived and he would sit on the floor with Hindu monks and study the Upanishads and the Gospel. And he said, in this great monastery, there were, uh, on, along the hallways, there were pictures, just lines of pictures of the great religious teachers of humankind and of history. And he said, of course, one of the pictures was Jesus Christ. And he said, every Christmas day, that picture of Christ, that day, he would be worshiped. But what Nubigen realized is they weren't, leading people to faith in Christ, they were, as he would say, co-opting Jesus Christ into the Hindu worldview, That, that the gospel was being domesticated, that Jesus was becoming just one figure in an endless cycle of karma, and that he was being domesticated into the Hindu worldview. Now, here's what's powerful. Because right, we all, you, you, you hear that and go, yes, yes, yes. But Newbegin started to reflect on his own heart as he saw this happening. And he said this I began to see that something of this domestication had taken place in my own Christianity, that I too had been more ready to seek a reasonable Christianity. A Christianity that could be defended on the terms of my whole intellectual formation as a 20th century Englishman. Rather than something which placed my whole intellectual formation under a new and critical light. I, too, had been guilty of domesticating the gospel. That's what syncretism does. It domesticates the gospel. Now, when the undomesticated gospel is proclaimed, the gospel that says Jesus is supreme God above all gods, when that gospel is proclaimed, the unseen battle is revealed. Through the years, I have seen a number of people respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ when it's proclaimed, either by turning to Christ for the first time or by becoming convicted of their own piecemeal spirituality and turning away from Jesus on the shelf with everything else and exclusively worshiping Jesus. And I will tell you that I've watched a number of times when someone has made that turn metaphorically speaking, all hell has broken loose. Whether it's through horrific suffering that's come upon them, or whether it's a intense temptation that has seized them to bring them back into their previous life, or whether it's just public shame and mockery that has broken in. Resist it is a good thing because it's a sign that the gospel's on the move. Now, if you've ever experienced that, if you've experienced that kind of resistance yourself personally as you've made a turn to Christ, or if you've been sharing the gospel with someone, you can experience that. If you've experienced that, it can lead to tremendous despair if you forget or don't understand who has won the battle, and that you're in a battle. What is revealed when the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed? A piecemeal spirituality, an unseen battle, but finally, the power of God. Verse 11, after Paul calls this magician out, verse 11, and now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, speaking of this Jewish false prophet, And you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. This is the result of the showdown between Jesus and this magician. This magician, who had been proclaiming darkness and living in darkness, was suddenly consumed by the darkness in blindness. We see this kind of thing happen several times in the Old Testament, similar stories. Think about Moses when God calls him to go to Pharaoh to demand that Pharaoh let God's people go. Think about Moses' encounter with the Egyptian magicians. Remember Moses' staff turned into a snake and then what did the uh, magicians of Egypt do? They turned their staffs into snakes. Let me just say, why is that important? Evil's real. It's not just superstition. Evil is real. But what happened when those uh, magicians turned their staffs into snakes? It says that Moses' snake gobbled them up. Or think about uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. The prophets call on Baal, their God, to bring fire down on their altar. It never happens. Elijah calls on God. God sends fire, consumes the altar. Just like Moses, just like Elijah, Paul here calls upon God. And God swallows this magician in darkness, in blindness. Do you think this brought memories back for Paul? Remember, before Paul's Damascus Road experience, he was just like Elamus. He was doing the same thing, he was leading people away from Christ, he was putting them in jail. And just like Elamis was blinded, Paul was blinded on the Damascus Road. Very similar stories. The point here is that the word of God proclaimed is powerful. What's the result of the showdown? Well, the magician's blinded, but then look at verse 12. This is amazing. Think governor of a state with no religious background. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. What caused this high-ranking Roman official, a man with tremendous worldly power, to believe? Well, certainly the Holy Spirit got hold of him. But what does the text say? says he believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Yes, there was a display of power. This magician was blinded. But it was the teaching of the Lord accompanied by a display of power that got hold of the proconsul. What we learn here is that the word of God is very different than any cultural word of our day. They're not on the same plane. The cultural words of the day, the pseudo-spiritual cultural advice words of the day, whether it be a TED Talk or whether it be a five ways to a better life type of book at Barnes & Noble or whether it be the message of astrology or the word of a psychic, all of those words fall under the category of advice. The word of God is not advice. It is power. And the reason it's power is because it is not the word of a mere human being. It is the word of a God-man, Jesus Christ. And it's not just advice. Listen, if Jesus wanted to give you advice on how to live a better life, he could have dropped leaflets out of the sky. He could have sent one to your house with a pamphlet on, here's how you can have a better life. That is not what he did. That's advice. Jesus put on flesh and came and rescued you and gave you a life that you could never get, no matter how much cultural advice of the day that you follow. The word of God is not advice, it is power because it's a person and the story of a person who has put on your flesh and come to rescue you. Just like darkness fell on this magician and blinded him, so darkness fell on Jesus. It says for about three hours while he was hanging on the cross. And that's because Jesus was absorbing all of the darkness, the sin, the evil, the syncretism, the, all of it. He put on his shoulders so he could put it to death. And three days later, rise with the light of new life and new creation. The reason syncretism is dangerous is because it doesn't reject Jesus outright, but it slowly draws you away. And syncretism reduces the word of God to advice. It reduces it to a word of advice like any other spiritual advice you might get in the culture. Domesticating the gospel reduces the word of God to advice. It's not advice, it's power. In Greek mythology, there were the sirens that lived on rocky islands. And they were gorgeous creatures that lived on these islands. Part bird, part man. Sometimes they were depicted as mermaids, fish from the waist down, beautiful, gorgeous women from the waist up. But what they would do is they would sing. And they would, had beautiful voices, and they would sing mesmerizing songs to sailors as they would sail by these islands. And what would happen is these sailors would hear the songs, and they would just fling themselves from their ships and swim ashore, and ultimately be impaled on the jagged rocks. Well, one of the Greek mythical heroes, Odysseus, was preparing to sail past the island where the sirens would sing. He wanted to survive, but he also wanted to hear their song. So he told the crew members, tie me to the mast of the ship and then put wax in your ears. And so as they sailed by, the sirens were singing their mesmerizing songs and it says that Odysseus was mad, burning with desire, but he was tied to the mast. And it says the crew members were deaf because they had plugged their ears, they couldn't hear, so they sailed safely by. Then it says another traveler named Jason wanted to, to, to sail by the island. And so he brought with him Orpheus, who was a supremely gifted musician. Said that Orpheus's music would cause the rocks to dance, just beautiful music, and so as Jason's, boat past the islands, Orpheus played the harp and played the music. And the sirens were singing, but the music of Orpheus was more beautiful than the music of the sirens. And so Jason and his crew passed by safely. The music of the gospel of Jesus Christ is power and it's beautiful and it will cause your soul to come alive. There are cultural songs singing all around you. Every day luring you in. Those songs don't go away, but when you come to trust Jesus Christ, the music of Jesus, And the music of the gospel drowns those out. What are you listening to? What are you listening to that's luring you in and luring your heart to a slow but subtle spiritual death? Will you listen this week to the music of the gospel of Jesus Christ? It will cause your soul to come alive in worship, in joy, and in praise. Let's pray. Father, we live in a world where there are so many songs playing, so many messages, so many enticing messages of even spiritual or religious type advice, and we confess that they're enticing. But Father, we confess that the music of the gospel of Jesus Christ is beautiful, and it's powerful, and we ask by your Spirit that you would plant us in places this week to hear it and to listen and to have our souls come alive in worship and in joy. Father, as we sing now, would your spirit take these words and sing them deeply into our souls that we would be changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.